Well, you guys enjoying this season of Yellowstone, huh? That was for like three of us. That's good. One of my sons loves to climb trees. Anyone in here like to climb trees? He's the kind of kid, like, we'll go to a park, and everyone will go to the slides, the jungle gym, or the basketball courts, and he's like, I'm going to climb that tree. I'm like, okay, cool. One day we were outside of the dentist's office, and uh, he goes, Dad, can I climb that tree? And a sensible parent would go, no, we're in the parking lot of a dentist's office. Uh, but sensible is not a word that would describe me, and so I said, go for it, buddy. So he takes his shoes off, and he climbs up to the top of this tree. He's probably 12 feet above the ground. And he gets up there, and he goes, Dad, it's so cool from up here. I can see everything. And by everything, he meant like the Toyota Siennas and the Yukons in the parking lot and like the dentist chair. And about that time, my, my daughter was all done. My wife walks her out, and I go, all right, Max, come on down. Let's get out of that tree. And he goes, okay, Dad. And I go, what? And he'd come down about four feet, and he had, like, the shakes. You ever get the shakes when you're like, I'm really scared of heights. Anyone else in here scared of heights? He had those. I immediately recognized what was happening when I looked up at him. And I go, are you scared? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, just, you got up there. You can get down. And he's like, I can't get down, Dad. And I was like, okay, well, we're going to leave you here, bud. We'll be back. And he's like, no, don't leave me here. And I was like, okay, well, then come down. And he's like, I can't. I was like, all right, why don't you jump to me? Just jump into my arms. I'm six foot five. You're literally two feet from my hands. I got you. And he goes, okay, but you're going to catch me, right? And I was like, I don't know. We're going to have to see. Like, you were sort of a bad boy earlier, and so we'll find out. Like, jump, and we'll know if I'm going to catch you. Not funny, Dad. And I go, okay, why don't you, on the count of three, you jump. So you jump, I'll catch you. Does that sound good? He goes, okay. And I go, are you good? And he goes, I'm good. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. You good? He goes, I'm good. I was like, all right. You good? I'm good. Okay. You sure you're good? I'm ready. You good? I'm good. Okay, I'm good too. Let's do this. On the count of three, we're going to jump. One, two, and on three, he jumped and he looked at me like he really trusted me. And in that moment, I thought this is the perfect time to teach him the most important life lesson, and it's don't trust anyone. And so I moved out of the way. And he broke both his legs, and he learned a real, I'm just kidding, none of that happened. He jumped, he jumped, and I caught him, and he had the like little, little kid shakes, you know? He was like, oh, he's like, I got you, bud, and I put him down. In, in that moment, I realized something. I realized that my son had something in him that he couldn't fully trust me. There was some kind of fear, there was some kind of anxiousness as he was climbing up in this pine tree that kept him from wanting to trust me, his dad. I put him on the ground. In that moment, I, I felt like my soul had learned an important lesson. It's the perfect picture of my relationship with God. I struggle to this day to trust people. I struggle to this day to trust God. In fact, I'll never forget in the middle of the night, I was 10 years old, there was a knock on the door in the middle of the night. It woke me up. I remember kind of listening. Maybe you do that too when a guest comes over, but it was late, late, late. That's interesting. Why is there a knock on the door? Heard some people talking. About five minutes later, I ran back in my bed because I could hear my mom coming. I didn't want her to know I was like listening in on the conversation. And she opened the door and she was just crying. She was weeping. I thought, that's not good. She said, hey, we got to get in the car. There's been an accident. 
I thought to myself, an accident? Like, that's usually what I do at night when I drink too much water before bed. Like, what are, what are we talking about here, an accident? So I got in the car, or rather, I walked downstairs, I get to the driveway, and there's a police car in the driveway. And me and my little sister and my mom were kind of escorted into the vehicle. My mom sat in the front seat. I was in the back seat. It's the only time in my life I've ever been in the back seat of a police car, believe it or not. And I'm positive. And my little sister next to me. And I just remember my mom had this like white bath towel that she was just crying into. I remember whenever she would lift her face to get a breath, uh, I could see her like mascara and her makeup was just like all over this towel. I still didn't know what was happening. I was really confused. And we got to the hospital, and we got in there, and I could see my dad, and my dad had blood on his clothes. And I'm even more confused now. And he came up, and he gave me a big hug, and he said, there's been an accident. There's been an accident. Your brother was in a terrible accident. My parents, uh, rather my dad and my brother, were coming home from dinner that night, and they'd gotten into a car accident. My brother had hit his head really bad. Over the course of that night, my parents had to make a decision that no parent should ever have to make. Let him live in a vegetative state for his whole life or allow him to pass on. And so that night, at, I was 10 years old, my older brother died. It affected me. Even to this day, as I tell you this story, I can still feel the pain and the emotion and the sadness. As I started to have kids of my own, I I oftentimes wonder what kind of uncle he would have been like. Who, who would he have married? Would I have liked her? Would my parents' marriage have been better had he still been alive? Or would it always have been kind of rocky and difficult at home? That pain caused something in me. What that pain caused in me was the same emotion I saw in my son that day he was on the, up in the tree. And, and that pain caused me to not want to trust people. Especially God, like when I was your age, it was, don't even tell me about a good God. My parents divorced when I was six. My brother died when I was 10. My parents have fought all of my childhood. We've moved around a bunch. Painful, difficult situations. I don't trust anybody as a kid. There was not a single person I trusted. I share that to say maybe some of you or in a similar situation. And just to kind of recap this week a little bit for you, the very first night we talked about how the fact that God is holy, that he's perfect, that he's set apart and there's no one like him. As a result of God's holiness, as a result of his perfection, he cannot dwell with sin. So the next characteristic of God we looked at was that he was just, that he had to take care of sin. That night, we looked at the fact that not only did he take care of sin, but he took care of it once and for all through the greatest expression of love that humanity has ever known. Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin. That is to say, he died on the cross for our sins so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is to have the ability to be in relationship with him again. This week, we've been exploring these characteristics of God. If you remember last night, we talked about how he's present and that how you are never alone when you're in a relationship with God. Why? Because if we miss his presence, we miss the point. That God's always with you. Now, maybe after the four talks that I've given so far and, and the incredible nature, the creation that God has put on display for you to both know him and to, and to love 
Maybe through the time with your friends and the moments up here just rushing the stage, getting to sing songs to God. Maybe even still you go, I just don't know if I can trust him. Man, if I could just be real with you, I I struggle with that too. Even into adulthood, I struggle at times to trust God because pain is real. Tonight, I want to talk about this attribute of of God that, that helps me to trust him more. It's a characteristic of God. It's a, it's a piece of his character that when I dwell on this one, I go, I think he is trustworthy. Turn with me to Psalms 46. Psalms 46. The word for the night is the word sovereign. The word is sovereign. That, that is to say, God is sovereign. I'll unpack what it means in a minute, but turn with me to Psalm 46. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, and she will not fail. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear He burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Friends, pray with me, and we're going to touch briefly on what it means that God is sovereign. Lord, tonight we come to you hoping to learn straight from you. Help us to understand you better as a result of opening up and diving into these passages. Help us to learn how to trust you more as we look at what it means for you to be sovereign. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's a little context for Psalm 46. Israel, we're seeing the birth of Israel on display through uh, the movie that we've been watching. We're watching as God is leading his people out of slavery in Egypt and into a land that was promised for them. You're quite literally reading in the book of Exodus the birth of a nation and the fulfillment of a promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 14. Like we're watching the birth of God's people here. Now throughout Israel's time on earth, there have been moments where they're constantly at war with neighboring tribes and cities and nations. Israel's always at war. They're never at peace. And not only that, but God designed Israel, as you saw tonight in the film, to be holy and fully trusting of him. Meaning God's plan for Israel was never to have a president, wasn't to have a king, God's plan for Israel wasn't to be like the other nations. God's plan for Israel was for him to be their God and for them to be his people. That was the way that God designed this nation that we've been studying this week to be. But something happened. 
throughout Israel's kind of birth and, and rise as a nation, they looked at God and said, yeah, good plan, but we don't actually want to do it your way. We'd rather do it our way. Give us a king. And God said, are you sure you want a king? This is found in the book of 1 Samuel. Are you sure you want a king, God said? If you have a king, he's just going to send your sons to war. He's going to marry off your daughters. He's going to take your cattle. He's going to take your land. He's going to take your gold. He's going to take your silver. And Israel, as a people group, said, we want a king like the other people. In other words, it was an act of defiance. It was Israel saying, we don't trust you enough, and so give us what we want. I think there's times in our lives, because of the life that we've lived, maybe it's things that have happened to you, maybe it's the household you grew up in, maybe it's the way you're hardwired, we struggle to trust God. This is going to be a perpetual lesson in your life that you have to learn over and over and over and over and over again, that God is trustworthy. This is why it's so important for us to understand one of these characteristics of God is this word sovereign. The definition of sovereign is, is this, possessing supreme or ultimate power. What it means for God to be sovereign, uh, it, it means that he possesses the power, that he is both the author and maker of, and he is also in control of all things. I find it interesting that it's really easy for me to trust that God spoke everything that we can see, know, and experience into existence. But I struggle with the idea of like Peter walking on water. Like I trust God that he like breathed the stars and hung them in their place, that he got to the giraffe and was like, hey, check this out, and like stretched his neck out and was like, be free, you know? That's like not hard for me to understand. It's incredibly difficult for me to trust God with the future of my children, though. That's, that's actually really hard for me. It's hard for me to trust God with the, the pain of my past. It's hard for me to trust God with the things that I need to forgive myself for because he's forgiven me. What this exposes in my own soul is areas of my life where I don't trust God to be big enough. That's why Psalms 46 is such a beautiful passage. Look at verse 10. We're going to look at verse 10 for the rest of our time here this evening. It'll be brief. Verse 10, we're going to break this up. It says in verse 10, he says, be still. He says, be still. Now, I understand that in, in like uh, biblical terms, it's easy for us to be like, okay, God said be still. Like freeze tag? Is that still a game kids play? You guys don't sound too amped about freeze tag. Anyone here like freeze tag champion? Yeah, 94, I was like freeze tag champ. Uh, broke a lot of world records. The idea here of be still in Psalm 46 doesn't necessarily mean to stop running. It doesn't necessarily mean to stop moving. Like that little girl in Jurassic Park when the T-Rex comes, you remember that scene? And she's like. <gasps> That's not what be still means. Be still is a military term that's translated from a Hebrew word, which is the word rapha, R-A-P-H-A. Say it with me, rapha. You didn't say it with me. You said it after me. Okay, say it with me. I didn't say it yet. You went before me. Okay, one, two, three, rapha. Remember that word. That's an important word. It's an important word because the literal definition of the word rapha, in English, the word be still, means to drop what's in your hand. The first time we see this word come to be is in the book of Exodus chapter 14 as God is leading the Israelites 
through the Red Sea. And God says, I want you to go through here. I'm going to part the Red Sea. And Moses goes, how on earth can we do that? And God says, I am going to fight for you. You only need to be still. Meaning, you're stepping up against a battle that you can't win on your own, but if you trust me, and if you trust in my sovereignty, and if you trust in my supreme power and authority over all of these things that I've made, I fight for you. What in your life do you need to drop? What in your life are you using to fight your circumstances, to fight your situations? What type of coping mechanism, what type of behavior do you run to to say, this is how I'm going to fight the battle? God says, that's, not, that's never going to work. You need to refine. You need to drop what's in your hand. You need to learn the art of stillness. He goes on to say, be still, second thing, and know. Knowing in this instance means to acknowledge or be aware of. He says, first, drop what you're fighting this war with. If you don't trust me, drop what you're fighting this war with. The second thing is you need to know. You need to understand, like we talked about two nights ago, you need to believe in me. You need to trust in me. You need to know me. You need to understand who I am. Knowing God impacts our stillness when we remember that he is the holy one that goes before us. But you might be thinking, to know what? Be still and know and know what? He says that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Meaning you're not God. You don't possess the power to fight this on your own. You're not smart enough. You're not wise enough. You're not wealthy enough. The family background you come from means nothing. Why? Because God is sovereign and we are not. And as we navigate life, which remember, we unpacked my least favorite promise of God, that in this world you will have troubles. When we navigate the troubles of life, we have two choices, friends. Option A is we do it on our own. Option B is we drop the ability to do it on our own and know that he is God. But look at the end of this verse. The end of this verse says, I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted on the earth. Knowing who God is is as important as ever because when we understand that God is in control and God is in charge, we remember that God is an idol and the world is not falling apart. Like uh, right now, this passage seems so real to me as we look at what's happening in Ukraine, coming out of the pandemic. Like maybe some of the adults in the room are going like, what's happening with the economy, right? I'm sure some of you junior hires just think about the economy all day long. Um, no? Okay. The point is, you read a passage that speaks to the harshness of this world, and what does David remind his reader of? He reminds us that there are battles happening that you can't fight on your own, and so you need to drop that self-resilience, that, that reliance upon self and skill and all of these things, and you need to be still, and you need to remember that he is God. And at the end of the day, no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens in life, it's a promise that he will be exalted among the nations, and he will be exalted on the earth. We can trust that at the end of the day, the exaltation of God is what's going to happen. 
That's why in the New Testament it says that there's a day coming where every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. There's a day coming where your knee will be bent before God. And so until then, how will you fight? Will you be still? Or like Israel, will you trick your brain into thinking that you have what it takes to do it on your own? Just like we saw on display in that film tonight, had Moses just trusted that God was leading and guiding him? Had he followed that pillar of wind that we saw depicted on screen? How much less pain would he have experienced at that well? How much deeper could his faith have grown had he trusted that God was who he says he was and that God was going to do what he said he was going to do? Last verse I'll read and then we'll call it an evening. It's in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. And they say this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I feel like as I read that, some of you may have had that memorized. That's a good one to memorize. It's important for us to trust in, in God with all of our heart because our understanding can trick us. Do you, do you know what would have happened had I not healed from the death of my brother? Had I not began to trust God? It would have made getting married really hard. It would have made being a parent really hard. It would have made finding a job really hard. It would have made loving other people, loving my neighbor, as, as God's word says, really hard. Had I not learned to trust other people, it, it would have made loving God impossible but an understanding of God's love, an understanding of God's power, and an understanding that he knows all things is what softened my heart. And I hope that through sharing some hard stories from my life, you, you might just have maybe just a little, bit more, a little bit more strength to trust that maybe, just maybe, God is in control. And maybe, just maybe, he will be exalted on the earth. Maybe, just maybe, we, we can trust him enough to be still and to, to drop and to stop fighting and to allow him to be who all of these beautiful pages say he'll be. Sovereignty. It matters. So God, tonight we, we trust you. Tonight, God, we look at what's in our hand, the thing that we've been leaning on and relying upon to get us through the day, and we say no more if it's not you. But God, the, the pain of our past, the trouble we faced, the things that have happened to us, the things that we've done to others, your word says that you're bigger than those things and that we can turn and we can repent of them. And so God, tonight, we turn from those things. We trust that you're in command and you're in control. We give you our hearts, we give you our minds, we give you our futures. We love you so much, Lord. Amen.